Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Uh, today's guest is a friend of mine, and I'm, I'm honored to call him friend. And he actually was in studio live because we had him in uh, to the company to do a training on, on the voodoo that he does so well. And Jason Hinkle, um, he is a personal and organizational productivity expert who's known for what I like about the most. It's a brain-based approach to really multiplying meaningful output in the same number of hours. This is both for work, but also, as you guys know, we're big around here for your personal life. When, when people have asked him what he does, he, his default answer is he delivers calm, deliberate, see what I did there? Authentic productivity. And, and a mutual friend of ours, who you guys might know from a previous podcast episode, uh, former U- U.S. Navy SEALs Commander Mark McGinnis calls him the productivity whisperer. And uh, what I'm excited, when I learned about his training, I learned about his coaching program, I wanted you all to get the same flavor for what you know we out here in the business world all pay for this kind of training. You're going to get to really have be coached and get a download from the brain of the productivity whisperer today, Mr. Jason Hinkle. And his company will point you to later, Focus to Evolve, and the amazing work they're doing with businesses and for individuals. Jason, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. Honored to be here. Honored to be here. And anytime I can relate to people who, I don't fall in one of the love languages that the book talks about. I fall into the one that you fall in, uh, the brain, <laughs> the brain study love language. And uh, the brain being such an advanced, amazing tool in our universe, and we get to utilize it. So I'm honored to be here and go on this journey with you. Excellent. Well, one of the uh, love languages I felt like got left out was was sarcasm, and I've, I found out when we went through that, my wife and I, that that isn't actually a love language. Apparently, <laughs> apparently people don't people don't like that as a love language. So, uh, well, this is gonna be fun. Now, uh, you know the drill here, right? You've you've listened to the podcast, and you've known me for a couple of years now. You know that the first question I always ask people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care, and they want to be able to trust you personally. So give us a little reason to trust Jason Hinkle. What's your origin story? Take us back as far as you like, okay. and then take us forward to where you became the productivity whisperer, and then we'll launch in from there. All right. Yeah, let's tie some of these strings together. I mean, I, I'm from a small town, a little farm, a little uh, little cornfield called Shelby, Ohio. And it's a small town where uh, I, I grew up in a, you know, I don't have a dramatic uh, background to tell, but I had two very loving parents, uh, two brothers that I'm extremely close with. And um, you know, in the, in the beginning, it was, uh, I learned a lot about grit. Uh, you know, I, I did the, the hanging drywall, I bailed the hay and did the things that you do out there in those farm towns and, and learned strong work ethic from both my mom and dad, how to, I picked up on uh, caring a lot about people uh, and, and from really my mom and my dad, but really my mom was the type that was making sure that everyone was happy uh, beyond uh, just uh, what kindnesses, but I mean, she was really out there. So I really picked up on that as a nature. And so it kind of starts tying into what I do now, which is really help. I want to help. I want to help people get out in front of it as they define it. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I did experience my own version of some trauma, which started to build what I call my little titanium soldier inside. (laughs) 
where in school, I, at the time, I would almost say, I've never taken the test, but I would almost guess I was partially dyslexic. Uh, I, when someone would tell me, hey, mark the, mark the answer next to the right answer on those uh, little scantrons, remember those things? Oh, yeah. I would literally know that the answer was A, but they said mark the one next to it. So I would mark B <laughs> and I would, it would look like a monkey rubbed dirt on a test and, and uh, turned it in. And it was literally kind of like that for me. There are many little examples like that. So I was, I started to feel frustration with the way the, the system was, so to speak. And it wasn't super aligned with me. It was, uh, you know, a, a monkey saying, hey, climb the tree. That's your test. And I was the fishy. And so it, it just didn't really align with me. And it started to add up. I was in the slow reading class and, it, you know, there was just some of this. Um, ran into a couple situations with some teachers along the way, which I kind of felt like I was alone in the world a little bit. And so I started to build this thing. And then uh, I did have an experience when I was younger with, uh, with a, a small instance of sexual abuse, which added to, okay, I have to protect myself now. And I'm not letting that happen again. Now, this is all after some, some work I've done here as an adult where this kind of came up and out, which why did I build myself into this ultra protection mode where every task gets done. Uh, you don't let things drop through the floor and I will build a fortress that I can't get hurt again. All these things kind of added up to the point where um, I was going into clearing college. I went to Ohio University and got my master's degree and, and then went to, you know, into the workforce. And what I found was an interesting situation where I uh, was laid off of my first two jobs uh, and then had a, a company go out of business. So I kept losing my traction on my career, which was another version of trauma because I was with uh, my wife in the early years there, been married for 20 years and really happily married. But man, those early years were I'm the guy. I'm supposed to be like really launching. You know, there's an old school thought that, that I don't really agree with that. But, you know, in my mind, um, I'm supposed to be getting traction here. I'm supposed to be really building a strong base and uh, financially for family. And I was losing these jobs over and over the first, I think, two years in the workforce. I was in four different jobs, not to my selection. <laughs> so I was starting to question myself. And it was a kind of trauma. Uh, I finally started to get some traction with uh, a large chemical company out of uh, Amsterdam, and uh, I, I did end up climbing in that one. Uh, the floor didn't fall out, and I went quite high, went up to a director-level role, uh, but I met my match, where the old uh, farm boy who knew how to work and outwork everyone and, and say yes to everything, well, that didn't work anymore uh, because it was a global role, and we were deploying CRM and uh, ERP systems all around the world. And it came to uh, a point where uh, my wife was actually the one that said, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. And mm -hmm. it was a nasty emotional slap. Uh, and I was going so fast, I didn't even know it. She said, Jason, you've lost all of your joy in your work. You're coming home just darn exhausted. I'd even say damn exhausted. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast. <laughs> sure. We're not regulated by the FCC. Yeah. As far as I know. Not yet. <laughs> um, okay, good. And so, um, you know, it was not going as well as my egoic self believed. I just had the role that I worked so hard for. Well, when she threw that out, uh, that made me reconsider things real fast. And I actually went to talk to my uh, manager on one of the trips over there to the headquarters. And then I was pretty much going to put my two weeks in and at a dinner. And he said, Hey, Jay, whoa, hold on a minute. You know, your projects are on time and in full. Your team's like you. The 
things are happening. You, you can't go. He goes, what if we take a pause here and you consider going and getting some coaching or help and we'll fund it. We'll help you. We'll support you on that. So I got permission from my wife to maybe give this a try. And maybe this all was in my head. And, and I was just interfacing this hurricane of a role um, the wrong way. Maybe there's a different way. And I ended up getting some coaching and we'll, we can get into as much of that as you want. But basically, I, I learned how to find some stillness in my day. I learned how to be calm, deliberate, and authentic in my work, in my output. And it changed everything. And there are very specific techniques, as your company here today just learned as we went through the training. But that's kind of my journey and what made me go into kind of an extreme version of build a strong foundation. But don't just build a foundation so you can put more hours in with the man. Uh, do it so that you can be more efficient, work better hours, not more hours, and get a lot more of your life back. And there are levers to pull to do that, which I'm happy to go into as much as you'd like on, on the podcast. No, that's, that's great. And so for those who are frequent listeners, you know that we, I like to bring on guests who have great information and a little bit of inspiration, but always leading to some form of application. And we're definitely going to get into the into all elements of that. And what I found interesting about your story is, is number one, so for the, the listeners out there, I met Jason a couple of years ago in, in, a, in a leadership retreat in the mountains of, of Virginia. And yet he's from a small town called Shelby, Ohio, where my mother and grandmother currently reside. So how about that? That's crazy. Uh, and so then his story around... The idea that you know his mom was such a great influence on the way to treat other people, but almost to a fault, she was such a, a giver that he became a people pleaser. And I just resonated with that because I think we all have some degree of that, some of us more so than others. And you can take a great good thing and turn it into something that's really debilitating to how you can show up in the world every day in a positive way. But then this hard work and the work, so so you want to be recognized, you want to please people, and you want to, you want to create, the, but you have this strong work ethic and grit. You're going to outwork people. You want them to like you while you're doing it, right? But you really have that, and then all of a sudden you hit the wall, right? So you grow up believing you're going to be this ultimate machine, uh, provider, protector, and you're going to outwork everybody. You're going to go up the ladder, and then to what end, right? We all go through the, some some version, I think, of this story in our life, and, and we're formed by our experiences from our childhood all the way through to today. Then you hit the, the slap in the face, which, you know, we've all probably hit at some point where someone really wise in our life, and in many cases it's our, our spouse, <laughs> says, hey, hold on, time out. Yeah. This is, and I think they, they do it from a place of such kindness because they recognize that it's not just that they're not getting what they need from you or me or whomever, it's that you're not being who you were made to be. I think they don't know how to verbalize it sometimes. So they, they slap us and say, this ain't working. But that was your aha moment. And so when you talk about uh, that, that piece, because I think all of us have experienced this. Many of us listening might be going through it right now. It's a treadmill. And the treadmill is not on 9. It's on 12. And it didn't even go to 12. And we just get on this treadmill. And the first question I have around this is, culturally, have you seen a big is there, is there a big, do you, do you believe there's a big difference in the culture work ethic? It isn't, work ethic's the wrong word, I think. The misconception of what it means to be productive in the United States or in America versus other countries that you've worked and done some of your work in. Over, is there a difference globally around how we perceive that? Uh, there is a difference. Uh, when we were doing deployments in, say, Spain or Italy, uh, lunches meant lunches proper. And there was wine on the table, and you did just talk. You took a, your prefrontal cortex got a rest. 
We weren't analyzing and thinking. Uh, when the further north you go, the more kind of American-like it was, where you know we would just grind um, and into the night. And especially at go live time, it was just grind. Uh, but the further south you went in Europe, I did notice that yes, we we do respect ultradian rhythms a little bit, where humans do need a little bit of off time. You're not supposed to just muscle through a 12-hour day. We never have. And then at the turn of the century, the industrialists uh, needed us to work between the two bells. And so we just started ignoring a very important biorhythm. Uh, I want everyone to realize and listen to their body when it says, I'm tired. And there's a reason writing this simple email feels horrible. That's your body saying, I need to go off a little bit. My prefrontal cortex needs a break. We need our default mode network to undulate on and, and relax a little bit so that your next up cycle in about 90 minutes will be way higher. So yeah, it is, uh, it, it is throughout the world differently. Uh, Southeast Asia, I noticed that was pretty, pretty you know, they're grinders, uh, you know, going in there. I, that kind of surprised me, to be honest. I thought it'd be more like meditative or something. I don't know if I was thinking Buddhism or what, <laughs> but I know uh, you go to Singapore, you go to Kuala Lumpur, they're, they're moving. They are yeah. an industrial uh, company. Same with China. Those, they're, they're moving. So in some areas, yes. Most areas, no. Most of it's kind of like uh, always on, like America. Well, and what's interesting about that, and I want to dive into some of the brain, um, the references you made there, but, but I have found that, you know, the Industrial Revolution will always go down in history as one of the most profound time periods in world history, not just American history. And the, the amount of production and the output and the creativity that came out of that, yet the downside of that, I see it as two, in, in, in twofold. Number one, we built our entire education and training models off of the Industrial Revolution, and they're in effective when it comes to creativity and divergent thinking. It's why our education system is so jacked up and why we, we create basically robots yeah. out of that. And number two, we've, we've created a culture of grinders. Like you're supposed to work 12-hour days. How else are you going to make that many widgets at the end of the day, right? So, we, so both and are, are really bad. And so what it's mm -hmm. done, though, is it's allowed or created a, almost a rewiring uh, due to the neuroplasticity of our brains to believe that it's supposed to be this way. And you've discovered and learned that not just through your own personal journey, but through the work in the neurospace that you've done, that's not how our brains are designed. So can you, in layman's terms, talk a little bit about, you mentioned default mode network, you mentioned the rhythms piece. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a 101 on what you've learned around, around that? Yeah, and more importantly, what I've felt around that and, and the why behind it. Uh, but I'd like to say, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of Krishnamurti's uh, statement where he had said that being well-adjusted to a sick society is no sign of health. Mm. And so within your organization and for yourself, define health and adjust to that. And I can promise you it's not what the corporate engine is telling you. Uh, when you get that email at 930 and you're watching a movie with your son who hasn't seen you because you're on a business trip, what's health? Don't respond to that email or text unless it's a DEFCOM 5 emergency, which is very rare. So hold on. Say that quote again. Uh, being well-adjusted to a sick society is no sign of health. All right. So I'm going to give every chance to pause and process that. Because most of us have found what we think is homeostasis when it really is an adjustment to a sick society. And we've learned how to live in that space. And now it's normal. And, and it is not how not, we're supposed to be. And it is not in alignment with human design. It oh, is wow. not. You are making other people very wealthy at the expense of your health. Because it's a version of being inauthentic. And for anyone who's kind of 
digested the content of Gabor Mate, he talks all about the minute you deviate from real authenticity, it's trauma. It's micro trauma, micro trauma. And years of it causes real illness, not just the feeling of yucky, I have to go to work on Monday, which we all feel some degree. When you are aligned with how your design is, that starts to go away. You don't get that micro trauma from being out of alignment from your actual human design. Wow. Now, I wonder if how many of us right now are thinking, how, how have we adjusted to our own version of a sick society and, and called it normal? Called it normal. Versus what, what, what's possible if we thought differently, in our case, felt differently. So let's go a little deeper into some of the, the, the learnings in the neuro side of this. You've learned from the, from the rhythms of the brain yes. to the chemistry of the brain. We've learned a lot about it, but what's your area of, of focus here when it comes to focus? No pun yeah, intended. Focus. There are so many levers to pull around this. I mean, we could look at the, the ultradian rhythm as an example, as a, as a starting point. Um, say all, all, all ultradian. Yeah, it's U-L-T, ultradian rhythm. Ultradian rhythm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of research on that if you just Google that, yep. if you want to go deep on it. But really, it's just a 90-minute undulation that our biorhythms have. We have biorhythms that sync up with the cosmos. I mean, I, I have news for us all. We came from the stuff that's all around us, you know? And, uh, well, the sun goes around the earth, and we have a circadian rhythm. That's a biorhythm. Go ahead and try to ignore that one for once or twice. Just don't sleep at night. You know, real, real consequences to ignoring biorhythms. The moon cycle is another one. Uh, males uh, are involved in that too. Females know the 30-day cycle quite well. That's the moon. That's a, that's a gravitational situation. Now there's the ultradian rhythm was pretty much engineered out of our society by the industrial age because we needed to work between the bells, as I had said earlier. Uh, but that's just a 90-minute undulation where your brain is supposed to go offline a little bit. The more offline it goes, the faster you can recover to get to your next up cycle. So you have roughly three to six of these per day, just depending on you. So you have to know thyself. And it takes you to get to stillness and quietness for you to feel it. And if you miss it, if you just coffee through these 90-minute undulations of on and off, which is basically going from the, the central command center or, or central mode network to the default mode network, which is off and fuzzy and floaty, uh, if you muscle through it, if you coffee through it, you will not have a next up. And you become very average compared to a version of yourself who is respecting your biorhythms. So every 90 minutes, the takeaway here is sink your teeth into the idea that every day you should have probably two to four real, sincere, deep offs. The more vertical, the more dark you can cover your eyes, the more you can plug your ears, the better. The deeper into stillness you can go, the faster your recovery so that your next up undulation on the Eutradian rhythm will be higher. So you can have a couple of those morning feeling energies if you don't ignore your ultradian rhythm awareness is half the battle so there now you have awareness now the other half of the battle is make sure that you are listening to your body and when that email feels really hard and you're like why is this so dang hard it's because your body is screaming your prefrontal cortex needs a break the rest of the brain needs to turn on and you need to just kind of go off it's very real so let's un let's unpack that a little further because i think getting into really practical application so all of us as human beings and i need you to correct me where i might be off the rails here on this is so i want to get into the sleep piece in a little little bit but once we awake we activate and we go into our task positive right our, our, our center of our brain which is now the, the the prefrontal cortex is in task mode and the machine gets turned on 
and the gas pedal starts to go down, and away we go. And you're saying that the the ultradian rhythms are designed, all human brains are designed, that we can go about 90 minutes before we start to redline. If I'm using this as a metaphor, you know, the, the uh, RPMs as a metaphor, and we start to redline. And if we don't come offline, let our foot off the gas, and kind of pull over to the side of the road and take a break, that we're going to blow the engine. And if we're at worst case, we'll blow the engine. Best case, we can't go any faster than a certain point there. We redline and we really don't be productive. So you're saying that the brain's rhythm of 90 minutes and then how, how long of a break do we typically need to get kind of reset? 10 to 20 minutes okay. is really all you need. But it has to be a, a real sincere one. Don't think about work. Don't think about the problem. You need to commit to really releasing in these minutes. And it's not just brain. This is full body. Full body. Yeah. Right. And as we talked about this, and for, for, for folks that are, that are really into this stuff, I'm telling you, this stuff is really important because it's, it's how you're wired and no one's really taught most folks this stuff. So if we go offline 90 minutes and whatever that looks like for you, it might be going into a quiet place where you just kind of close your eyes and, and meditate, pray, whatever your thing is. It could be you take a long walk around the, the pond where you don't think about work. You're just letting kind of your brain just just distill and, and, and slowly kind of come offline and just let yourself go to, into that default mode network, which mm-hmm. is that unconscious space, 10 to 15 minutes at a time, every 90 minutes. And you're saying that'll make your higher peaks higher and it'll maybe even, you know, kind of shorten some of the troughs a little bit if your ability to do that consistently through the day. Yes. How many times? Three to four, you said? Four yeah, they say roughly six in a waking period is where most people will, will land. Okay. And our, our, default because of the way we're wired and trained and and especially in corporate America is you said coffee through. I love it. Just coffee through it. We just got to keep that prefrontal cortex active because that's what's getting the work done. And next thing you know, 7.30 a.m. turns into 7.30 p.m. and we've not come offline. And then we are just fried. And then the last of that, you know, that, that 12 hour work day we just put in, probably you're saying if you do it this way, maybe a couple hours were ultimately productive. A healthy brain who's obeying these ultradian rhythms and really utilizing uh, how the human brain operates, a, a, a two hour healthy focused brain will do an eight hour uh, work session compared to someone who's ignoring these rhythms, who's distracted in their work and they're a lot more around that as you heard in the training this morning but as a first step and as a big one yes focus on these uh these undulations okay that's that's huge and there's a lot of things happening in our brain right our brain one of the things that fascinated me and i as you know i love the brain i study the brain all the time but what i hadn't really done any any research into was the idea of what happens to the brain at night now i want everyone to listen to this is so important and it's so impactful to me is the the wavelengths right the, the the energy the waves that the brain goes through as it as it dives down into these states and the 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 cleaning the the, the disk drive that gets clean can you help that people understand what happens at night and people everybody knows oh you're supposed to get seven to eight hours of sleep every night right and then people struggle because I don't sleep well and I have anxiety this and well. This idea that the brain is actually self-cleaning, if it's done correctly, is an actual neurochemical reaction that's happening in the brain. Tell folks a little bit about that. Yeah, super important. I remember the first time I, I heard this one, it, was, it just shocked me that this is actually when the real value happens. So you, you kind of picture yourself when you lay your head in the pillow at night. Your, your brain waves are kind of in a, in a beta wavelength, which is a, a pretty high active thing. Your frontal cortex is moving. You're thinking, oh, I got to text Julie in the morning. And, oh, I forgot to do this. You know, when you first lay your head on. And then you start sinking into alpha wave. 
So it starts slowing. Then it goes into theta wave, even slower, kind of an undulation vibration now. And that theta wave, deep theta, is where the two cycles of REM happen. And there's some, some things happening there that are valuable. But then, after about 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half, everyone's a little different, you then fall into deep sleep, which is where delta wave happens, which is pretty much as close to dead as a human can <laughs> be in. You're not dreaming, there's no REM, there's no activity, but something magical happens at this point. If you can get that far without an interruption, so you have to get there first. But then deep sleep hits. We usually have two cycles of deep sleep in a night. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two. Not much more than that. But as soon as you hit that delta wave sleep, deep sleep, there is a, uh, a fluid we have in our spine and around our brain called cerebral spinal fluid. And in the daytime, it's got a very important task to be a, a jealous cushion uh, from your brain, not to bounce off the jagged inside of your skull. So that's very important. And that's for, you know, in the beginning, they thought that's what that juice is in there. It's just a protection. Uh, but then they kind of recently found that this cerebral spinal fluid has a way more important role. And it was awesome when I learned about it. And I've actually watched the scans of this flush happening. But at delta wave sleep, deep sleep, the uh, cerebral spinal fluid starts to flush into the gray matter. It goes into your neural networks deep into your brain. And it flushes the neural networks of what's called beta amyloid, which is basically plaque that builds up on your neural networks uh, as you think all day. And it's why, you know, the beta amyloid buildup or this plaque buildup is why you can't really think as fast at 3 p.m. as you did at 9 a.m. It is actually a buildup. It, it disrupts the, uh, the flow of those ionic charges up the uh, neural networks. So beta amyloid comes along and it's the janitor. It scrubs it out. It's called the uh, uh, glymphatic system. And it's because the human brain, they don't think that there are lymph nodes in there. Now, there's some recent stuff that says there are kind of. But for the most part, this cerebral spinal fluid is the flush. And it happens at deep sleep, at delta wave sleep, which is about 45 minutes in. And you uh, get, uh, once you have that started, you need to keep in mind, once you have this awareness, keep in mind that it is a known fact that caffeine and alcohol inhibit the cerebral spinal fluid flush. So if you're just not waking up feeling bright-eyed and bushy-tailed like you did when you were 17, uh, one of the very first things you could look at is how much caffeine am I drinking? When am I drinking it? And what caffeine am I drinking? Because it does inhibit cerebral spinal fluid flush, which scrapes out those neural pathways to make them quick and efficient. And you will wake up cloudier, more mind fog, and uh, just less effective, less, worse attitude. There are all kinds of effects when your brain isn't properly cared for. So get that deep sleep, respect it and uh, protect it against some of the chemicals. You know, that late night coffee, might want to think about that one. Uh, even coffee after 9 a.m., it has a half-life of, you know, I've heard large numbers up to even 30 hours in some people, depending on your genetic makeup. Um, there are caffeine tests where you can test how well you process, how quickly you process out caffeine. But the alcohol thing is, is a really well-known one, and that's usually an evening drink, unfortunately. So if you're not waking up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and you wish you were, start with that. Protect that deep sleep. It's where the huge value bomb happens in sleep. That was so huge to me is to think about. I know some of you listening right now might be thinking, well, you just don't understand. I have anxiety. I don't sleep well as it is. And this is kind of a, there's, there's cause and effect here, right? So sometimes you got to go all the way back to the root, the root cause to determine this. But, you know, I thought about this. I'm fortunate enough that I get pretty good sleep. And a lot of people I know don't. 
And I, and I, I think that, that knowing this, I was thinking about, you know, I think in pictures and metaphors and analogies, it's like a computer hard drive. <laughs> you know, you put it into defrag mode. The old exactly. days you could defrag your hard drive. Yes. It's kind of like what you're doing to your brain, right? Your cerebral spinal fluid is defragging the, the amyloid plaque off of your, your neural networks, which then opens you back up to be when you go up, when you wake up in the morning and you go start to press the gas pedal, it's like the fuel lines are open. Ah, I love that. Versus being clogged up with you know, junk and, and and you're able to get more productive faster. Now, here's the question. I, I don't know if you know the answer or not. I hope you do. Is in the, in the ultradian rhythms during the day, is a similar process taking place when we do take the, the moment to go 15, 20 minutes into kind of, shut down the prefrontal cortex. Do you think there's some cleaning happening there or is that just more kind of activating a little bit of the flow state into the default network? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, according to the neuroscientists that I uh, pretty much study, uh, it, it is not happening outside of delta wave sleep. There's some trigger about delta wave where it okay. has permission to go on in there and do its scraping. So this is more during the day. It's really more just resting the the yeah. engine versus cleaning. It's the oscillation that's yeah. needed. And, and what, uh, name any part of our known universe that doesn't have a vibration with an up and a down. Yep. All radiation, the entire cycle has an up and a down. Why would humans be different? Right. We're made up of that stuff. Everything, every layer. You need to go on and you can go high and you need to rest. Uh, NASCAR, they need a pit stop. Uh, and that's how you win the long race. You pit stop. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, my son and I are always talking about that everything really ultimately is made up of energy, right? It's just a matter of what form of energy it's taking. Why are we different? We're not. We're not. We're not. We're made up of that energy. Okay, so now the idea, let's see if we can shift gears now and taking some of this into, let, let me do a recap. Number one, you got to get into deeper sleep. You got to get into Delta if you really want your hard drive cleaned. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's right. If you want your brain functioning. So in order to to do that, and I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who have a lot of stuff that prevent them from sleeping well. And some of it is probably controllable. Maybe other things are genetic and uncontrollable, but the best you can watch your caffeine intake, eat a healthier diet, get a little exercise during the day, things that help put your body into a place where it's open to sleeping deeper. Then you're going to clean that hard drive. And then during the day, 90 minutes to two hours work bursts where you're activating the prefrontal cortex, being highly productive, and then shut it down for 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes at a time. If you can get into that cycle, you're going to just accelerate the amount of stuff you can do. Now, all of this sounds great, but it does sound like we're trying to be more productive in terms of accomplishments of tasks. But isn't this really designed so that we can live in harmony uh, with who we are as, as beings uh, with that balance of who we are as human beings in our life versus our work and how we kind of put those two together and operate with efficiency, but with purpose. Is that? Thank you for taking it there. That, that is what it's all about. Uh, when we talk about all the things we just talked about, of course, it's about producing at work and creating a, a, a good, you know, get some wealth for yourself. It is about that. Uh, but it's more important to get to go home to your wife kids, husband, whatever, with uh, some emotional energy instead of going home to them and they get, they don't even get the B version of you. They get something like the S version, like way down the alphabet. And you're angry. You're short-tempered with your nine-year-old creating trauma in their life because you said something that they literally, they have a limbic attachment the way you brushed them off and it forms them. So the, uh, the compounding effect of why this matters it's way beyond making more money, which is important. 
Um, but it's it's about relationships. And so the reason I love your work is because you do start from the inside out. You go from the why, not the how and the what. You work your way out to the how and the what. Um, but it's so important uh, when you think about the how and the what in any offering, it's usually very much egoic. It has to do with getting the contract or how am I going to do it? It's very frontal. It's not very heart driven. It's more computer egoic. Um, and I don't mean ego in a bad way. I just mean like the material world. When you go to the why, it always has to do with the relationships. It has to do with the humans and the people and how you can actually help and what you went through as a soul. And you can relate to that soul. And it is so much more meaningful. So if you just stick with focus on the why, the how and the when almost come automatically in a thousand different ways. So that's why when I read your book, uh, Neuroselling, it, it just resonated so well, but you put words to it, to that path, because it is about the relationships. And that's why I do what I do. I want you to not put more hours into the corporate machine. I want you to deliver twice as much for the corporate machine so boss is happy, but have about two more hours per day to deliver to your wife and your kids. And not just more time with your wife and kids, but more real emotional energy and heart with them so you're not going home some exhausted piece of charcoal that's been burnt all day it's so good and you know people are calling the you know the two-year period here around the pandemic now suddenly in the workforce you know it's it's the great resignation because people are, are are resigning and quitting their jobs in record numbers and the, the longer we've been in it the more that i started to call it the great reflection not the great resignation because i think what it's done in a positive way it's causing people to stop and go wait a minute why am I running at 100 miles an hour in this job that I don't feel any purpose in and I don't feel connected to and I don't connect to the vision of the mission Is it, and I'm losing my family or I'm losing myself? And so people are really reflecting on what matters to them. Now, the challenge to that is, hey, look, hey, everybody who's resigning, we still got to have an economy. You still got to go to work at some point, right? But to, to, I think it's, it's valuable to learn. If they would have learned your training, before they had the great reflection, they probably would have found more purpose in their work because their work would have been the vehicle, their why would have been defined, and they would have found more value in, in their identity of who they were as a human. And that's, I think, the heart I have with you that we're connected on is, man, if we can help people really connect with that from an identity standpoint, then give them tools and resources to be able to live out that way, they're going to have more energy and time for the, the who they really are. But 24-7, not, well, I got to... I got to buckle down and focus at work so that when I get home, I can shut that off and actually be myself in front of my family. No, no. I think if you can learn to be human the whole time and how you know, God designed us to be, wow, what, what, you're going to show up better with your peers at work. You're going to show up better you know, in your, in, in, in just in, with your friends and neighbors and then also with your family. So that's what I love about the work you're doing. Um, now, I don't want to get too tactical and practical on this, but if you could give a few tips. So we learned a lot as a, as a team today on how to kind of process through using different tools. Don't, we don't have to go into the weeds. I want people to go and learn more about that from your site. But what are some of the tools and tips and tricks that you've given people just in general terms to help think about how to be more productive, live in this? Then I want to get into the flow state as we end. Okay. Yeah. Save the, the coup de grace for yes, the end. That's, yes, that yes. is the big lever. Tools to use. Uh, we, the beautiful part is I'm not selling anything. You probably already have the tool. Uh, you just are using it incorrectly. And I love to give that analogy of the steak restaurant. We go into a steak restaurant 
and you got a piece of steak on your plate. And it's a beautiful steak restaurant. So you want to, you know, eat this thing proper. And they have a nice steak knife there for you, the correct tool. But you go and you pick up the knife by the blade end instead of the handle end and go to cut the meat. So a couple things happen by using the right tool the wrong way, <laughs> the way it was not designed to be used. Uh, you will have to push extra hard on that piece of meat to get through it. It's going to squish the meat. It's going to make a mess. You're going to cut your hand because you're holding it by the blade end. You're going to bleed on your plate. You're going to gross the people out at the tables next to you. Oh, no, you had a perfect tool for the job. You're using it incorrectly. So my first step, my first tip, I should say, is if you are working with your inbox showing, I don't care if you're on Google. I don't care if you're on Asana or Outlook. Uh, you are holding a beautiful tool by the blade end. That's tip number one is get that inbox off. Untether the inbox from your brain because it is costing you so much cognitive switch text you can't fathom. And it's costing you any, any possibility of entering flow state where you multiply your connectome and accuracy by up to five times. So it's extremely expensive. That's tip number one. Get that inbox untethered from your brain. Can you give the analogy you gave our team with the actual physical mailbox? Oh, yeah, sure. Can you give that? Because I think it really, it really resonates yeah, with Yeah, so an inbox, the design team at, in this case, Microsoft, said, hey, let's, let's create an inbox. And the design requirement was, let's make it pretty much work like a, uh, a mailbox at home. So everyone picture your house, and you walk out. You deliberately choose to stand up out of your chair and walk out your driveway and grab the mail and you put it on your armpit and you close the mailbox empty and you walk back to your desk and set the stuff down and do it at your desk. Now, we don't stand out at the end of our driveway and wait for the mailman to come back. We don't use that mailbox as a filing cabinet. <laughs> we don't use that mailbox as our working desk. No, we just, it's a delivery mechanism. And that's what pe people are doing all those things right. with our mailbox. It's just a delivery mechanism. You need to get that inbox out of the driver's seat fast. It's costing you awesome amounts of effectiveness. That's so good. And some of you out there are actually standing in the back room of the post office, weeding through the mail truck as it's coming in because <laughs> you can't even wait for the mailman to get back to your mailbox, right? That's right. They even I, go and, further. And, and I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum where I, I have, you know, 121,000, no lie, unread emails in my inbox, which gave Jason a little bit of a heart attack this morning when he came in. So I'm just ignoring them. The mail guy goes by my road all the time and I'm just ignoring him until yeah. the UPS guy shows up with something. I'm like, well, that's important. I should probably open that one. Yeah. So I got all kinds of other issues, but... <laughs> The condo association called and they're like, you're, you're being asked to move because the mail is piled up. snow drifts of mail outside my mailbox. But I think the point you're making that, that we found really, really helpful was we do tend to use our inbox as our work box. Um, and, and it really drives our prefrontal cortex activity throughout the day and, and the dings and the alerts, whether it's through a task, you know, like a, your texting or your emails or whatever you've got up. And then we operate out of that. And so, so it's, and it drains us. And then the 90 minutes that we're supposed to be productive, we weren't. And we didn't take the 20 minutes to actually deprogram ourselves because, well, we had more emails coming through. Right? I, can't, I can't ignore those. I mean, what will happen? If I take 20-minute break, then I'm going to have five more emails when we come back. So that was a good one we learned. And then using the task manager within whatever function you have, Outlook, Google, that was another big one we learned as well. Um, and creating those tasks um, and then st sticking to it, right? And not... Like not letting you, you said that earlier, the cognitive switch tax. 
And that was a big aha for us is that for those listening, and I want Jason to talk a little bit about this because it really does lead us into the flow conversation. And I'm going to, I'm going to, this part of me is I'm just summarizing what I learned from Go you. And then no, I want to know if I got it right, yeah. right? <laughs> so because you're either focused on something or you're distracted, if you're doing something and you get distracted, you pay a mental tax. Your brain cannot optimize the time spent on the one thing you were trying to do because you let multiple distractions happen. And that causes cognitive deficiencies. And so it's a tax technically, right? In time and in productivity. It's a tax that's paid in minutes. And when you are doing something deliberate and a distraction pulls your attention to the left or to the right, the little email ding or whatever, and you go over there, your neural network ramps up to the distraction thing, which is not the same neural network of the thing you wanted to do, the, the thing that moves the dial. Uh, and when you decide to then get back to the thing you wanted to do from the distraction, your neural network has to re-ramp up. And that takes minutes. Sometimes it takes a lot of minutes if you were way into something. That, those minutes it takes to re-ramp the neural network after the distraction, the tax is paid in minutes. And behavioral scientists advise that roughly, uh, that the average Western worker pays roughly one month of their life in cognitive switch tax per year. That is one month of our lives that wow. adds zero value. It's just re-ramping from distractions. So if, if, if you think your life is valuable and you would like a month of your life back, do not let distractions take you off of your traction. So uh, Nir Ayal in his book, Indistractable, talks a lot about this. He says, traction is the plan, your task list, and your deliberate plan. Distraction takes you off of that traction. Anything that comes in that was not on that plan is distraction. So you need to get real serious about distraction. Isn't that funny? Because we've all heard the word distraction, distraction. Well, you're a distraction. That's a distraction. But we've never really put it into the context of what is distraction? Traction. It means you you were you had traction going somewhere, and then something broke that. Now my company's probably now lovingly behind the scenes, behind my back, nicknaming me a CST because I am the cognitive switch tax. <laughs> You're embodied. You've embodied. <laughs> I'm the embodiment switch. of distracting <laughs> wow. my team when they're in the middle of a moment, probably of doing something. So being mindful of that. Some of you right now are thinking, well, that's that's Larry in accounting. I'm going to start calling him CST. He drops in and just blows up my, my day all the time. So part of the, the, the aha for me too was, and we talk a little bit about this and we teach this a lot. I've experienced this. We hear the term flow state and this idea of folks feeling like, well, that's got to be an Olympic athlete. Well, that must be, you know, Joe Burrow in the playoffs, right? Because we're Cincinnati Bengals fans around here. Um, what really the flow state is, is accessible to all human beings. And, and that's where you're really operating in this unconscious place of just creativity and like boundless ideation. And I realized, you know, through learning with you and knowing the science a little bit is I, we have a joke around here. I call it the thinkalator. Like for me, the shower is my flow state creator. And I'm in, and when I get in the shower, and now that I know a lot more about the science, I think it's the water, it's the white noise, and it's the ability to allow myself to turn the prefrontal cortex off and just allow my subconscious to just kind of go white space. What do you, what do you got? And then, the, you know, spirituality or whatever your, whatever your it is universally starts to download to you ideas and creativity. And I love that, but we all have it. It's all accessible to us. What do you do to coach people into how to activate their own version of, of that flow state? How often can they do that in a day? How often should they do that in a day? 
what I do to coach people into it is tell them the why behind it. Uh, the science is crystal clear. Uh, if you want to at home, just Google benefits of entering flow state at work or whatever. You'll see so much, so much science on this now where you multiply your cognitive abilities. Uh, the, and we all have the same magical meatloaf and, and blood chemistry going on, relatively speaking. Uh, you know, you're going to get kind of elevated levels of serotonin, anandamide, dopamine, endorphins, norepinephrine. They'll be all at particular biomarkers if you were to do blood work when you are in your flow state. And it's something that we all have access to. And it's not something you do. You actually release and it does the doing. It happens to you. You, you basically take the scales off to let it flow. It's not something you chase to do. So how you said you take a shower and then all of a sudden, no, there you go. Uh, very specifically, what you had said, you know, your prefrontal cortex, that thinking analytical mind uh, where it's kind of all beta and fast, um, that relaxes. And there's a neurochemical uh, where one of its jobs, is called anandamide, where it allows your brain, your left and your right brain and your frontal and your old heuristic brain to have a town hall meeting. So your brain, the access to the different parts of your brain gets much bigger. And that's what's happening in your shower situation. And anyone can enter flow state in any number of ways, but uh, we do in the training cover exactly how to do it. Uh, but you do need a couple variables in place to do it. And uh, that, that's one of my most exciting things to teach because right after the training that day, you can go into flow state deliberately instead of waiting for the universe to have this weird thing where you were driving and the song was just right and the sun was over there and then you were there, you can actually engineer your environment to bring on flow state. And it is amazing. Imagine coming to work tomorrow and having two blocked uh, calendar appointments with yourself where you're going to go into flow state, where you are basically a five times version of yourself from a cognitive standpoint. You become a mental giant compared to you not in flow state. So this isn't about comparing to anyone or anything. This is about comparing to you versus an optimized version of you. And it's a lever we all have access to. You just have to be shown how to do it. Yeah, I love it. And again, this is like some of you out there know you've experienced it before, but maybe you've experienced it act accidentally versus intentionally. And this is helping us actually do that. So what's your, what's your advice on, okay, so I'm going to enter into flow state. I get into the ability to do that. I quiet myself. I find that place where I know that this is where I can enter into flow state. And I quiet my mind. And maybe I've got you know, some music on in the background. You're, you're a big fan of brain.fm. We'll talk about that in a second. I've got the resources helping me get there. Where is the, the line in flow state between inspiration and then activation? Mm -hmm. Like, can I work in flow state or is it really more? No, that's where the ideas come from and you go apply them mm -hmm. in, in, in no state. I just made that term up. Right? <laughs> no state. Yeah, no state or flow state. <laughs> Very good. Great question. It's the paradox, as all things in God's universe are. Uh, you have to pick up both ends of the stick. And the option is either. It's both. So if you deliberately intend to go into a creative flow state, oh, that's very real. That's very real. You can start playing your didgeridoo or go kayaking and have the intention of, hey, I'd like to think of creativity. Like, what do I need to know right now? It could be as vast and open as that. Or it could be, how do I build a better TPS report? <laughs> it could literally be as specific as that. Um, and then as far as, so that's kind of the more creative and, and uh, you know, letting ideas and creativity happen, which is huge. Uh, or you could go into a flow state where you're going to crush on tasks and you're just a severe operator. I know Commander McGinnis, uh, he, he had told me that when, you know, you know, he shares his stories over the campfires and, and things. He told this one story where 
they were all, he said that in general, when they were in the middle in, on a mission about to go to drop point, it's un, some ungodly number uh, time, like 2.42 a.m. And they're helicoptering in. He said, if you looked around at my SEAL team in that helicopter, they would be almost asleep because they have to, they have to operate like samurai. Now, we all have the choice to do that at work, but we have to do just one thing at a time. They're not thinking about the 15 emails or looking at Instagram. I can guarantee you that. Right. They're thinking about what's coming next, and therefore, they're able to do the impossible. You can do the impossible at work, too. You just have to choose to learn how to work that way. That's great. Now, you, all, you recommended our team, and I, and I had, the, had the app myself. I just hadn't been using it. Is to Tell us a little bit about Brain.fm. That's a... Uh, something you recommended to us and people might find interesting out there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if you can put a link in the show notes or whatever. Brain. Good. Brain.fm. It's an app. You download it and it does neural oscillations very well. It matches brain frequency to optimized states. So we have, you know, harmonic resonance. Human biology just resonates with vibrations around it. It really happens. It's real science. So it matches human flow state with spikes of gamma at the right place. So you actually fall into flow state really fast, like within three minutes, instead of the natural 20 to 30 to 40 minutes it takes if you don't have any support for that. So you get this brain.fm app. And I, there's actually a 20% coupon we can put in there too. It's focus to evolve is the code. If you just go to their website, focus to evolve at checkout. We'll put that on the page. Perfect. And I cannot recommend that app enough. It has absolutely catapulted me into flow state. Now I'm very good at it. I'm 10 years into practicing this. And I am a graduate of uh, the Flow Genome Project, where Stephen Kotler and uh, Jamie Wheel, when they were together, they put that together. They trained people based on U.S. Special Operations Command's protocol on how to enter flow state. So with the training that I do, I, I, I actually give people the download on that. And it works. Brain.fm is a beautiful way to start playing with flow state in your life. Love it. Love it. Well, and I think that sometimes the, you know, people out there think, well, that's kind of stuff that's for the, that's for the Tony Robbinses of the world or the elite athletes of the world or whatever. And the reality is, is no, it's for you and me. It's, it's for everyday people who want to live in a place where not only are they managing the balance in their life, but they're activating that part. I can tell you that for me, that, that there's a spiritual element to that piece. I feel like I'm connected uh, spiritually to information that I can't possibly know. Otherwise, and I think that that's where, I, again, I say a lot of my ideas, they didn't come from me. They had to come from somewhere else. And so I have to be able to open that door. And to me, that's, that's really the definition of flow state. And then being able to operate out of it. And now what we've done is you've given us the ability to go be creative geniuses and operate in flow state, but then be productive during the day in the, in the, using the, 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 our normal rhythms of, of peak time and downtime. And then cleaning the hard drive at night. Now think about that. I mean, you just gave everybody a formula for not productivity, but for just ha living an amazing life that's full, that's connected emotionally and available to those around you. And, and joyfully participating in life cannot be done if you're exhausted. And if you feel off balance, it can't be. And so this is what I, this is my mission in life. I want people to find a, a kind of stillness in their life so spirit can work through them. Get out of the way. Right. <laughs> the genius is one inch behind you. You just need to get out of the way. Now to give uh, the audience, not, not that you needed a lot more validation on this, but everything that, that, that Jason and I have talked about today, if you go back and study, these are the things that Einstein did, that Tesla did, 
that Jobs did, that people historically, that, that Musk does. These are things that are great innovators and are great thinkers of our time that we look to as these giants. This is the stuff that they did. Whether they understood the science behind it or not is irrelevant. This is, when you hear them talk and you look at their history, this is the things that, these are the things that they did to be able to become the geniuses they became. And you have that in you. I have it in me. We all have it. It's part of our, the Imago Dei, right? That image of the creator. Yes. And so how do we activate it? And then what do we do with it? So tell people where they can go learn more about your training and how to get some more resources. Yeah, if any of this resonated with you or you, you might think your team would benefit from this, if you feel a little bit off balance, if email's getting the best of you, <laughs> if you're going home tired at night and you don't want this Groundhog Day situation anymore, if you're really serious about it, uh, I can't encourage you enough to just go to our website. It's www.focus2evolve.com. That's T-O focus2evolve.com. And you can read testimonials there. You can see some videos about it and, and really get an idea of it. And you can also reach out to us from there. Just hit contact us. So you might be interested in some discovery of what this particular training looks like. And the, if you are interested in something like that, the training is, it's, it's been distilled down to a very beautiful, digestible pill. It's a two-hour training. We do custom stuff as well and keynotes and all. But it's a beautiful little pill that is very digestible. It works dramatically and immediately. This is not a training that's like reading another book where you put it on the shelf and you were in total agreement. But 98% of it, one week later, is totally gone. Can activate it, right? This is an activation situation because we do the modalities, the meta skills, kind of some of the stuff we talked about now and more. Uh, but then we go over and we actually do specific settings, neural interrupt settings, we call them, in your programs, in your Outlook or in your Google, which pull you in the direction of these far more effective and I'm not, I'm not, I hope no one takes offense to this, but more intelligent ways of working. Right. No, that's fantastic. And like I said, you guys at the beginning, we, we just went through it as a training as a team ourselves. And so we're excited. We came out with a whole list of things we're going to do differently, but also think and feel differently about how we do things. So uh, Jason Hinkle is his name and he is a, he's a brilliant mind as you can already tell from this episode. Get on focustoevolve.com, learn more about it. Uh, they're coaching lots of large organizations all the way down to small businesses and business owners and uh, just love the work you're doing and, and love being connected to you. Thank you for being on, uh, on the Driving Change podcast. I appreciate you, Jeff, and what you're doing. Great, thanks buddy. You're welcome back anytime. All right, thank you. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.